This podcast was recorded before COVID-19 and protests around the death of all Black lives. Just as a reminder, here at It's Personal Podcast, we try to amplify the voices so often hidden in our world. Listen, take notes, and learn. Be nice, be kind, and respect one another. Peace. Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Gary, and welcome to the second season of It's Personal. Okay, good. This is going to be really dope, but I don't want any <laughs> Kwame Mbalia. Uh, I'm an author. Hey, I'm Padma Venkatraman, the author of The Great Home. Sure, yeah. My name is Natasha um, Diaz. Code switching and all those things. I mean, all, all of that. All the time. I mean, he's still on the road all the time, but you know, like as a new mom. The relationship that I have cultivated from there. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Right. This is so fun. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Scott Bayer. I uh, live in uh, Maryland, where I've been uh, working as a public educator for almost almost 20 years now. Wow. Wow. Scott, can you just share, um, what has it been like, like, growing up in Maryland? Like, uh, what, is, what does it look like as a kid growing up in Maryland? Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting, because uh, I came to Maryland when I was seven. Um, and I never really like felt any sort of attachment to it, but as I've gotten older, I've really realized like how lucky I was to grow up here. Um, you know, we're really close to Washington, DC. We're really close to Baltimore. So two really different, but really great cities. It's always really interesting stuff going on. Um, and you know, just being able to grow up in an area with so many people from so many different places. Um, you know, I, I guess I just assumed because that was my experience growing up, you know, when I was younger that everyone else was having a similar experience. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that that's not true. And so I really, um, you know, kind of reflect in the ways that I was lucky to have had that experience. Mm. And what does school look like for you? Well, school was um, not my favorite thing. You know, I, school was about friends and about sports for me. Um, I didn't, I wasn't really interested in, classes. I was often bored. Um, I acted out a lot and uh, got myself into trouble here and there in some fairly embarrassing ways. Um, But, you know, again, like I really think about the good things about my school where, I mean, I I love playing sports and that was great, but like really just being able to develop friendships with people, you know, from, from different places with different cultures and who spoke different languages of different races. And that was, that was really the thing that, that stood out for me as, as I reflect back on my school. And would you say there were trends that followed you through elementary, middle school, high school, or did you, would you say that you kind of, there's a lot of things that changed as you went through schooling? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I kind of follow, you know, what the research says is that, you know, as an elementary school, I was curious and I was full of wonder and I was interested um, and then when I got into sort of that regimented middle school, for me, it was actually intermediate school. It was just seventh and eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but once I started getting into those classes and into high school, you know, I just felt like everything was sort of prepackaged and I really wasn't interested in what they were selling. And so I became sort of more and more despondent in my studies. And I was always reading and I was always writing. And I became an English major even as an undergrad. But I, 
I wasn't interested in the books that, you know, my teachers wanted me to read. And, and uh, so that, you know, created lots of challenges for me as a student. What would you say the reasons you weren't interested were? Like, what were some of those specific reasons? Do you remember? Um, you know, some of the things were, you know, I was going through a lot of things in my personal life, in my family, and I didn't really ever feel like, you know, outside of, you know, a very few from, you know, middle school, from seventh grade to 12th grade, like that my teachers, you know, knew who I was, cared about me, had any understanding of, you know, challenges I was facing in my own life. Um, they were just there to like plug their content and make sure that I knew that it was the most important thing in the world and I couldn't succeed if I didn't, you know, know this mm -hmm. thing that they were teaching me. Um, and I just, you know, I knew, I think I knew from a young age that that was all untrue. And so I reacted with that knowledge of it being untrue in, you know, some, some very immature ways, but just in, in the sort of, you know, rebelliousness of teenage years where you're just unwilling to do things that you know are just not that valuable to you. Personal. Personal. So what did the household look like? Uh, so, you know, life was, uh, I don't know, less than desirable. Um, mm. you know, my father was a military man. He was very, very tough on the house. Um, my mother was a stay-at-home mother. Um, I have uh, two brothers and a sister, but um, as kids, you know, we weren't really close. You know, it was, um, it just was sort of the way our house went. It was sort of every person for themselves. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, as I've gotten older, us as siblings, we've become better friends. But, um, you know, when I was a kid, it wasn't really like that. And so I felt, you know, very isolated. Like there wasn't a lot of support. I struggled a lot with, um, you know, a lot of different things. And I think that's where, you know, some of this anger and some of this rebelliousness came from that, that showed itself in schools was just, you know, my home life was, was not, it, it's not what people probably thought it was. They probably saw me and said, oh, you know, this, this kid has a fine life. Everything's going well for him. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where they, you know, drew their line and didn't mm -hmm. bother to actually try to understand. Mm -hmm. And what did that like support system look like or were you even looking for support during that time? I mean, really, I think I was looking for anything at that time. I mean, I had a lot of support from friends. I had really good friends and, you know, I tried to spend as much time away from my house and with my friends as I could. And sometimes that worked, um, sometimes that didn't. Um, but, um, you know, I've always had a very strong network of friends. And, you know, mm -hmm. even now, like my wife says, you know, you, you, your friends are your siblings. Um, and so I've always had very good friendships. Um, and that was, that was important growing up. And I had a lot of different types of friendships because, you know, I had, I was a big nerd who was bad at school. So I had like my nerdy friends. I was a good athlete. So I had my athlete friends. I, I, my, my best friend was my next door neighbor who was two years older than me. So I had my older friends, you know, it was just kind of a weird like group of people that I, that I hung out with. And I was always kind of doing different stuff, but it was always good to have that outlet to go outside my house. Mm -hmm. And then how did you get into education? So it's, it's always interesting, like listening to stories and it sounds like a lot of education um unfortunately for you ah who's that <laughs> so this is my son max max how are you doing bud he can't hear you hold on i know so say hi hello hey max 
It's good to see you, man. Hi, Mr. Gary. Max, can Max, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How old are you? Five. Five? You look really big for five. <laughs> so what grade are you in? I'm not in any grade yet. Not in any grade? Mommy and Daddy said I'm going in kindergarten um, when I'm six. When you're in the six, in the, yeah. are you excited? Yeah, I think you're going to be really, I think you're going to love kindergarten. Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> are you ready for it? All right. Yeah. All right, well, you want to go, you know, say bye to Mr. Gary and go find something? Bye, bye. Okay. <laughs> See you, bud. <laughs> All right. I love it. I love it. Puppy's <laughs> <laughs> down here, too. Mm. All right, hold on. My wife's closing these doors for us. <laughs> Scott, so how many do you, do you have? One or two? I just have one kid. Yeah, just one, one. one five-year-old. We have a brand new puppy. Uh-huh. Uh, so you know, life is life, life's busy these days. Yeah, I love it. I love yeah. it. I love yeah. when like you can't something that you like, especially during like a podcast or anything with family. Like you can't even you can't control it. It's just one of those things where like life happens and. Let's go back just a little bit. Um, I'm okay. curious about, again, just like how you got into education, because we mentioned before um, a lot of your experiences were um, listening, um, not as positive as um, yeah. many, many kids had growing up. So how did you manage to take that and then become uh, an educator? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. I was, I was sure that I never wanted to be a teacher. I was dead. <laughs> I was dead set on that fact. Um, and even you know when I became an English major, I mean, really, like you know, I didn't have anyone helping me understand what it meant to like apply to college or what sort of decisions you would make, you know, about things you wanted to study. I mean, I I applied to three schools, and if I didn't, you know, get into them slash couldn't afford them, I was going to go into the military. Um, I didn't apply to any of them for any good reason. Um, the one I ended up going to, the only reason I applied is because that's where my best friend went. And the only reason I went there was because that's where my best friend went and I could afford it, which is a terrible reason to choose a college, <clears throat> but I did it anyway. And I became an English major because I like to read and write, which I guess isn't like a terrible reason to become an English major, but it, those are more things like I have this hobby. So now I just want to study that, um, which is fine. You know, it worked out because I, I, I do love, you know, the study of literature, reading, writing, things like that. Um, but, you know, everyone would say, what are you going to do, be a teacher? And I was like, uh, no, never. That's a terrible idea. Because, you know, I didn't like school. And I was, you know, I was, quote, unquote, a, a, a good kid. But I was like, I was a terrible kid. I would never want to teach anyone like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, in my senior year, I was living in a townhouse with some friends or five of us. And three of them were business majors and they were like getting phone calls at the house. Like people were offering them jobs. And I was like, Oh, like, I guess in a couple months we're going to like leave. And then I have to like do something with my life. Mm-hmm. And so my, my other roommate who was not a business major was a psych major. And this is a true story. Um, we were sitting on the couch. He was on one couch. I was on another. We were watching something on television. I said, Hey man, what are you going to do after you graduate? And he was like, I don't know, man. And I said, you want to move to you want to move to Italy? And he said, personal, 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 personal. Sure. And that was wow. that conversation. Wow. So, 
Yeah, so we packed up and we moved to Italy. Um, and so, you know, while I was there, I, after a while, um, you know, it was hard to, to work legally. And so I had like these little odd jobs and stuff. Then I started to, to make this little business um, about teaching people English. And I had no, you know, certification, no credit. I, just, I was an English speaker. Um, but there were a lot of people, um, young people who were studying it, older people who were in business um, and were trying to learn the language. And so I kind of like, you know, had this little little good thing going there. And I realized like, I like doing this. Like I like interacting with people. I like watching them learn things and I'm actually good at helping them do that. So mm -hmm. that's an interesting thing. And then so, uh, eventually I came back to the States and that didn't like make me want to be a teacher, but I came back to the States, started working my old summer job, moving furniture. Um, and you know, I was just riding around with a, with one of the drivers one day and he was like, you know, you should, you should apply for this job. And it was out of school. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to do that, whatever. but, but I needed to get a job, um, that wasn't, you know, moving furniture. Cause I loved that job, but you know, I, I needed to do something different. Um, and so I applied to be an English composition assistant, which was like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just someone who helps in the English department. I wasn't certified as a teacher or anything. Mm -hmm. So I went into a school and I started working and I was like, this is kind of cool. I'm, and I'm pretty good at this. Um, then a teacher after in my second year, a teacher had to get back surgery and go out. And my department chair said, Hey, you want to go teach the class, her classes? And I was like, uh, I don't have any idea what I'm doing, but you know, I'm sure. Uh -huh. Yeah, so this is a long time ago where you could get provisional license and stuff like that. So I started teaching and you know, went well. Eventually I became um, the department chair of that of that school. Wow. And then uh, I, after I left that school after 12 years, uh, try, to, try to do something new, try to get some new challenges. And then uh, now, for the last four years, I've been in the central office um, as an English language arts instructional specialist for grades 6 through 12. Wow. Cra crazy how <laughs> life kind of gives you all these twists and turns. And I could, again, 100% see why education was something that you wouldn't want to get into growing up. And then how crazy that it turns back and now all of a sudden you are very much an educator teaching English. Um, it's such a cool story. It's such a cool story. How does that that experience influence what you do now? I'll, I'll let you talk about it. What, is, what does that do yeah. for you now as an educator? Yeah, I mean, it's been one of, one of my guiding principles to say, I refuse to give kids the types of learning experiences that I had. Um, and that's been really successful um, for me in my career it's been a motivator for me every day when I think about like oh you know I could just like make them read this thing and like do a reading quiz and then like do you know learn these 10 vocab words and like do a quiz you know because that's a pretty easy thing to do as, a, as an English teacher but then like I always stop and I was like what's the value of having a kid do this because when I was sitting in that seat I didn't see any value in this um, and so it's always been sort of a guiding light for me to really um, help kids personalize their own learning. You know, I really want to uh, turn the keys over and let the kids drive. Um, I really want them to think about um, themselves as inquirers, and I want them to think about themselves as people who have 
um, agency in my classroom to say like, I'm interested in this. How can you help me as a facilitator of my learning to, to know more about this thing that I'm interested in? And so that's really how I see myself is not really like as a teacher, but just a facilitator of learning. I just want to help kids explore things that are interesting and engaging to them and then, you know, challenge them in ways to, you know, deepen that knowledge and push them, push them further in, in directions they didn't know that they could go. It's, it's, it's so cool to hear like what happened in the, in the past and now how basically your past has influenced so much of how you kind of navigate the present and I'm thinking even the future um, and how lucky the education system in general is to have someone like you who has unfortunately gone through that experience but now using that experience to to make education in the world a better place it's just it's a cool a cool experience to hear but tell me tell me about fatherhood man like max looks like a very very happy kid what, what are you what are you doing to make him feel that way man yeah he's he's a happy kid man we're, we're very lucky i mean we were lucky from the beginning he was a good sleeper and a good eater right away um you know but i you know i'll tell you this i don't have any idea what i'm doing uh you know it's it's just one day and the next you know i mean i think that um one thing that people have said about me um as a father is that you know i never treat him like he's a little kid and i and i think that's sort of the thing that's also very true of me as a teacher like i don't teach i don't treat students like you're the student i'm the teacher and there's some sort of power dynamic here that you know gives me authority and and, and takes it away from you and i think i'm the same way with him you know like i, I just explain things to him he's very curious you know, he got to the, the why stage where he asked why about everything. And I love that because I, I'm like, okay, let's do this. I will answer 27 why questions in a row and we'll see how like deep we can get into this and we'll test my ability to explain increasingly difficult concepts to a five-year-old. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally down with that. Like it's cool. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's a curious kid. He, he's very happy. He does a lot of things. You know, we try to try to let him do things he likes to do. And so, you know, he's into music and art and sports and, you know, we just try to let him explore things that he's interested in. So, uh, but it's, it's been great, you know, like I was never sure how I would be as a, as a father, you know, I just, uh, I guess no one ever knows, but I was, mm -hmm. I always had a little worry considering, you know, how I grew up. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but it's been fabulous. You know, I have a wonderful wife. She's awesome. And you know, she just, such great work with him as well. So, yeah. So, Knockwood so far, he's happy. Kids, good. So that's, that's good. Yeah. So, how how did you and your wife meet? Oh, it was a setup, man. It was a terrible setup. Yeah. So she was living in Brooklyn. Uh, she was in Brooklyn. I was down here, and so like one of my friends from high school was dating uh, her sister, and so he just called me up. He's like, "Hey, you know, having some people over. You want to hang out?" Um, I was like, sure. So I drove up to his house and it was just her. And then like his brother came by for, for a minute and I was like, okay, so, um, yeah, so it was kind of just a setup and neither of us knew it. Uh, um, but, um, yeah, so we connected and then we got to see each other at the wedding. Um, cause those two got married, the, the mm -hmm. my friend and her sister. Um, and then, so we kind of were like at the wedding, we we're like, Oh, well, we should, you know, see each other again. I was like, well, the bad news is tomorrow morning, I'm getting on a flight for China and I'll be there for six weeks. Oh my God. Um, 
which was like a very fortunate experience for me. I got to go through the University of Pittsburgh and the study tour of um, China, which was three weeks long. But then I added three weeks because I wanted to, you know, go to some other countries, explore, hang out. Um, so she was like, oh, yeah, he'll, he'll never call me again. But, you know, I came back and called her and, you know, we dated long distance for a while. Um, and then she decided that you know, she was going to move down here. So wow. things worked out. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Let's talk a little bit more about just being a family. Um, yeah. I mean, I think time is, is the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my wife and I are both busy with different things, um, you know, with our work, but then with interests outside of work. Um, she's, you know, she's the fundraising chair of a, of a, of a local charity. And so she does a lot of work with them on top of her regular work. Um, you know, you know, as an educator, life can be very, very busy. I've been fortunate enough. And one of the reasons that I made this switch was, you know, I have sort of an office job now where there's not the planning and, and grading at home. So I, I have free time. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm also very busy with, you know, different things that I'm, that I'm doing, whether it's, you know, since I got on Twitter, I mean, my whole educator life has changed. I've been going to all these different conferences and presenting, you know, I, I co-founded the book chat with Hoel, like just all these things that, you know, are really great, but, you know, take up some time. So um, I think that's, that's honestly the biggest challenge is making sure that we make time for everybody um, as a family and make time to, you know, spend with, with, with Max and, and just to be able to do some different things. Time is one of those things that you just feel is just so valuable. Yeah. Um, you, can, you sure. just can't get you can't get it back, right? Like once time is gone, it's gone That's for sure, <laughs> right? Uh, so I totally agree with you. Time is definitely something that you, uh, as educators, we we struggle with a lot based on the pressure that we put on each other, um, the pressure that we put on ourselves, um, just to to share and just be in the moment and help kids in situations, et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, I feel I feel you for sure on the time aspect, definitely. Um, yeah. I'm I'm wondering more about just like the family life, and you spoke about um, your dad being um, in the military, and how much of an influence has mom or dad been on the way that you are? I don't want to say raising your family, but just maybe the things that you are trying to implement within your family um, that maybe you've experienced when you were growing up. Yeah, you know, like I said, I mean, you know, I didn't really have that. Like, you know, people always say like, oh, family's number one, family's so important, stuff like that. Like, I didn't feel that growing up. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think part of, you know, what we are doing now, me and my wife is making sure that it is important. You know, like we spend a lot of time together, you know, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of couples who are, you know, married or together or whatever, but they like, don't seem to like each other or don't spend time together or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. So, you know, we always, I mean, it's, it's, it's good that we do like each other. So we do, <laughs> we do enjoy, you know, we spend time together. We do different things together. Um, and so, you know, I just think that part of what we're trying to impress upon Max is like, you know, this is, this is important and, and really like demonstrate through our actions, um, you know, the type of love that we have for him and for each other, for our family, and, and and just make sure that it's not just something that we say. I agree. It is one of those things where people often, as a, as a world, we often believe that 
everyone's, sometimes we believe, and I think as educators, because we see it so much, we know that families can look different and can feel different. But oftentimes people within society believe that family looks a certain way, feels a certain way, uh, which is obviously not true at all. Scott, I want to just thank you for you spending time with me. Um, and I appreciate everything that you, I mentioned it before, but I want to say it again. I appreciate everything that you were sharing online. Um, I often say, um, to people that are um, not familiar with using Twitter as like a um, educational platform to just like get a like, great PD is that it can be very, very valuable. Um, and for me, you are someone that I, again, truly enjoy um, just watching that journey. Um, so I appreciate it. I appreciate you. I do. I appreciate you, man. I, that's, that's very kind of you to say. I appreciate you having me on this on this podcast. I appreciate everything you post on Twitter as well. And I can't wait till we meet in person. We will. Where can people find you? Uh, I mean, really, like, I don't have any social media that's other than Twitter. So uh, Twitter is kind of where you find me. Uh, my handle is Lyrical Swords with a Z at the end because the S was already taken. Um, <laughs> but you can also find me at uh, hashtag the book chat, uh, which I co-founded with Howell Garza. And uh, if you want to push your reading boundaries and your reading limits, come join us and read a good book. Thank you, Scott, I appreciate it. And hopefully we can do this again sometime, man. Yes, thank you so much, Gary, I appreciate you having me. Scott, that was awesome, dude. Woo.